Oh, good morning. Good morning. Some of you have been in this school for a long time. I saw a sign at the front that said Children's Church. I said to Russell, we're in the right place. But, uh, you, know, you know how um, when we were going to high school, you, there were people who could fail the fifth form. They'd come back second year, fifth, third year, fifth, fourth year, fifth. You know, and some of you kids are still here. So... Yes, no, we have a, we have a saying that um, our progressions are not, they're not measured chronologically because uh, we feel very much like three-year-olds teaching two-year-olds. You know, for all the things that we've learned, we're still only up to that one slice of the pizza. There's still seven-eighths that we haven't experienced yet. We don't know, we haven't learned. I just had some, uh, some news this morning that... Uh, Floyd McClung passed away yesterday. How many of you know Floyd? Well, you know of him. In Youth for the Mission, he wrote the book, The Father Heart of God. And for many years, he's been very sick and uh, living in South Africa, but he just passed away yesterday. So, so there's a graduation for you. Oh, so I have... Uh, Mixed emotions this morning. Big Floyd. I think he was six foot seven. Felt called to go and work in Amsterdam amongst the red light district. And um, <clears throat> so one of the things he discovered in ministering to people in that, in that area was that um, uh, one day he went to meet with uh, some of them who were involved in the industry and um, he, uh, uh, totally unrehearsed, he wore a pink shirt. And uh, from then on, he was known as Pink Floyd in the, uh, amongst that community. And they loved it. They thought he did it deliberately for them. But uh, it's funny how just simple little things can endear you to a people. And... Um, he was one of the first people in use for the mission, apart from Jack Winter, who came to teach on the Father Heart of God. But he prayed for and ministered to Floyd, and Floyd became this champion for the love of God. Um, it's a wonderful thing to be able to be held by someone bigger than you. <laughs> Your face just disappears under their armpits. I've always been amazed that gentleness is so much easily seen in someone of larger stature because they carried in their spirit and they, he was just such a wonderful man of just of patience and kindness and gentleness. He always had time just to be able to sit and talk. I have one endearing memory of Floyd. <clears throat> we played pool together one time and I beat him. So, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh. So, um, 
yesterday we had a wonderful time at uh, Berica and uh, part of the theme was um, uh, who told you? Who told you? It's been a significant passage for me because um, uh, I'm probably 50 years into my Christianity now, as are many of you from the children's church here. And uh, I just um, I realised that, that much of my journey has been around that particular question. Who told you? Where is your foundation? Where is your information? Where have your encounters come from, Frank? How did you draw that conclusion? And um, so this morning I want to uh, just to speak on um, who told me, who told me. And, uh, and just one of the things, I don't know if you've ever had done a Bible study with God. You know, when he asks you the questions and you go, um, 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 uh, I think it says, um, um, and he says, yeah, nah. There's this wonderful capacity to be very gracious and he just says to me, go back and look again. Go back and look again. So, uh, so this morning, that's what I want to talk to you about. I have a... Um, my wife and I worked in Youth for the Mission for many years, probably 30 years. And... Um, we were having a prayer assembly, much like the, um, you know, the missions focus, and everybody was coming together. There were churches, denominations, pastors, leaders, missionary agencies, and we all gathered together in a little room, forming a strategy for what they called a Pacific prayer assembly. And uh, they were expecting about 600 people, 450 from overseas. So we had this wonderful strategy. We had a fantastically big venue, a large Samoan church, and uh, we had um, put together an organising committee, as you do, you know, all these very capable people. I'm terrible with uh, that kind of facilitation. I can talk about it, but I can't do it. You know. So we had all these, um, these uh, representatives come, and we had a committee and they started working on everything, pulling it all together and uh, we got an emergency call after six weeks or with six weeks to go I should say and the committee said um, look we have some bad news, apparently this venue is no good the, um, the church has informed us that they're because of some things internally and to do with their building and whatnot, we can't have it here so we've called this meeting because now that we're six weeks out, we have to decide whether to call everybody and cancel it or to, you know, if there's another way, then we have to know what that other way is now. So I remember sitting in the back of the room, I'm just a young YWAM leader, as we're talking about different things, I said, so is the problem just the venue? And they said, pretty much. We've spent all these months looking for other venues and this is the only one that really suits what we need. And uh, so he said, um, he said, so my recommendation is that we cancel it. And you know when you get that funny little niggly thing in here, you know, you don't really know, you're trusting that it's God, but you just go, um, um, said, so um, what if we had another venue? And the committee just said, we've just told you, we've looked around, there is no other venue. And the only impression I had was, well, why don't we build one? We've got six weeks, I mean, you know. 
and I was thinking about tents, you see, put up a marquee and, and just do it that way. And so the committee said, well, um, we, we don't want to be the committee anymore. If that's what you're going to do, we don't think that you can do that. So we'll, we'll resign. But if you really believe this is a good idea and that, that God's in it, then she's all yours. So, you know, I'm, I'm young, I'm zealous. I'm, you know, Maoris can do anything. So, um, and I, I had to confess, you see, that um, the reason I was so confident is because I have a guy. I have a guy who works in the mission and he is wonderful with administrative facilitation and organizational stuff. He is just a whiz. He's fantastic. So I went home. First thing I did was call that guy, have a chat, say, listen, this is what's the thing. I, I think we could probably do it with marquees and that kind of stuff. And he said, yeah, easy. Easy. We can do it. And I said, yeah, I, I knew it. I knew it. So uh, he starts organising stuff, and just before he does, he says to me just one thing. He said, I've applied for a job in another city. And um, he said, I, I don't know whether I'll get it or not, but if I get it, they've said that the, the conditions are if they contact me and say, yes, I have two days to get there. So, you know, as long as it's, you know, I'm, I'm the optimist, you know, oh, what can happen in six weeks, you know? If we can build a city, we can, you know, you'll be fine. So he starts um, acquiring all of the quotes and information and bookings for everything that we need, and the folder just grows and grows and grows. And after three weeks, he comes to me and he says, well, look, we've compiled just about everything. I think I've got just about everything sourced, and we've figured it out. It's all on a timeline. We can just, you know, it'll all arrive on the day. And, uh, and he says, so the reason I'm telling you that is because I just got a phone call and um, I'm off. So this is Friday afternoon and um, he said, I have to be in Wellington on Sunday. So we helped him pack up and said goodbye, celebrated and off he went. And so he uh, took off to Wellington. Monday morning, I went into my office. There's this huge folder. And I just said to, you know, I made sure to ask him before he left. It's all here. It's all here. It's all here, right? It's all here. It's all here. So what? You, but, it's, but it's all here, right? It's all here. And he said, yeah, it's all there. I said, so, but what you're saying is it's all here. It's all here, right? And he said, yeah, yeah, it's all there. It's all there. Because, you know, it's one thing to have a guy. But then when you don't have a guy, you have to know that it's all here. So, uh, so he left, Monday morning, opened it up, there it is, right on the top, the marquee, this is the first quote, $12,000, you know, it's going to have to seat a thousand people, and so I called the company and they say, oh man, we have been trying to get hold of you since Friday, and I said, really, really, why, you've got a, you've got a sale on, we're going to get 50% off, and he said, yeah, nah, <laughs> it's, uh, he said, no, it's, uh, that's not the news I had for you. He said, uh, we've actually had a, um, a problem with that marquee and it's uh, damaged in some way and we won't be able to lease it to you. So we're just calling you because to give you some other alternatives, there are some other companies that may be able to help you. So I said, oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so thank, yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's the main part of the whole thing. So I turned over the page and uh, lo and behold, there's... 
an alternative, and it's the same company that this guy has recommended to me. He already has a quote. This one's, you know, $24,000, and I think, it's getting up there, you know. So, uh, so I called that company, and they said, oh, look, we're really sorry. Um, we'd love to help you, but our company's just uh, become insolvent, and uh, the liquidators have taken over everything. We can't have anything go in or out. It's all locked down. So I said, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's, no, that's, yeah, that's okay, yeah. It's one thing to have a guy, and then it's another thing to have it all here. But when you don't have a guy and you don't have anything here, see, it's amazing how your prayer life escalates. It's just sort of like a gift of God. It's called desperation. <laughs> so it was the strangest thing. I remember just going through all of the pages in this compiled you know folder here and uh, and without a, a word of a lie everything he had organized failed i'm sorry that lady who took that booking she doesn't work here anymore and you know we've looked everywhere for her notes we can't find any record of you having this lined up you know as phones and toilets and all kinds of stuff but every time i called some someone it wasn't there Oh, I'm really sorry. Actually, that lady passed away. We're all going to the funeral today. I said, there can't be any other stories out there. There can't be. And my folder just went down and down and down and down. Until, and slowly I'm getting lower and lower, finally reaching my knees. Oh, God, God, help me. I had a guy, but obviously I'm going to need a God. So I'm, I'm desperate now. I have three weeks to go. I have absolutely nothing. There are 450 people who have now confirmed their flights because three weeks ago we told them we're going to do it. 450 people coming from overseas and 150 registrations in New Zealand. And we uh, now have nothing. And except for some really cocky Maori Samoan boy in the back who said, I think we can do it. I think we can do it. You know, I know, I know a guy. So, in my desperation, I'm just crying out to the Lord, and, and immediately he answered me. It just, boom, just like that. He just said Genesis 3 and verse 6. I just jumped up and down. I said, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I was so excited. I was just, you know, just, yes. And uh, I went home that afternoon, and... Uh, and I opened up my Bible to have a look, and, uh, you know, I just said, <laughs> and the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was pleasing to the eye and good for food and good for acquiring wisdom, so she took some and ate it and gave it to her husband, and he ate it. And all of the hallelujah went out of my hallelujah. And I said, God, of all the verses that you could give me, you've given me the one broken verse in the Bible. This is the fall of man. This is of no use to me at all. I told you that this is about 600 people coming to a prayer assembly and you could have given me any other scripture, but for some reason you've given me this one. I, I know you have a sense of humor, but not now, not now. <laughs> I've now got just one day less than three weeks and, and I'm getting really nervous because the people are coming, they're coming from the Pacific Islands and some of them are not too far out of cannibalism. And, and when they find out that I'm the guy, you know, 
so I'm, um, I'm praying, oh God. And see, the painful thing was just three weeks before that, I'd been in a, in a Pacific Island church and the preacher was preaching on this passage. And he hammered it, man. I'd only heard it preached on once before and it was hammered that time too. You see, and by hammered I mean it was, this is the definition of this fall of man. This is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And I said, God, how can that possibly help me? This is the lust of the flesh. This is the lust of the eyes. This is the pride of life. And he said to me, just so simply, so pedestrian-like, well, who told you that? I said, what do you mean who told me that? I just was listening to the preacher three weeks ago, and he said it. I've only heard this once before, and they said exactly the same thing. This is the fall of man. Of course, we all know that after the woman ate from the fruit, what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happened until after the men ate. See? And then stuff happened. See? So, but all of those assumptions you see are running through my heart and my mind. Oh God, what use is this verse to me? And I said, so if, it's, if this is not the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, then what is it, God? Because I've never heard any other interpretation for what this passage means. And he said, it's a gift that I've placed within women. I said, shut up. <laughs> I mean, you can stretch some things, but, you know, this is like... He said, no, really, it's a gift of God that I've placed within women. It's the capacity for them to see what's good, what's pleasing to the eye, what's good for food, what's good for acquiring. You see. And I said, oh, God, I can't go back to that missions committee and tell them I've got Genesis 3 and verse 6. Yeah. If they don't laugh me out of the room, they're going to stone me out of the room. You know. I said, is there, any, is there anywhere else... Is there anywhere else where, where you said this? And he said, yes. <laughs> and he said, Proverbs 31. I said, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. You can't take the fall of man and then take this woman of noble reputation. See, of noble character. You can't just go from here all the way over here because I don't know how you got there. And he said, well, it's really simple. He said, have a look what the woman does. How does this proverbial 31 woman do what she does? So I'm reading through it. Do you know what you notice? That she sees what's pleasing to the eye, what's good for food and what's good for acquisition. She acquires a piece of land with her own money. The children are well fed. Her husband sits in the, sits in the gate with the elders. You see, her servants are taken care of. They have warm clothes in winter and they're all well fed and taken care of. I said, oh God, I know this may seem cheeky, but is, have you got one more, one more verse? I don't know, I'm desperate, I'm just I'm marching around the field, I'm going up the mountain, I'm, oh God, help me. I've now got 18 days left. And as I'm walking around the field, actually when I'm up the hill on the mountain and, uh, and I'm just praying, I'm trying to get as close to him as I can, you see. Just 
And uh, he said, I already told you. I already told you. I said, I know about the Genesis 3 and the Proverbs 31, but what else did you tell me? And he said, I wrote it. He said, I wrote it on the wall. And I remember walking around this field, the field where we were going to pitch these marquee tents, you see. He said, I wrote it on the wall, and it was EX3. You know, have you ever had this impression that God is going to write something on a tablet of stone? That wasn't my impression. You see, it was a concrete block toilet in the corner of a football field, and there's all graffiti on it, but in the top right-hand corner, it just said EX3. So I came down from the mountain, went home, grabbed my Bible, Exodus 3, and read through. And typically God, you know, he makes it in the last couple of verses. So you've got to read the whole chapter. So I'm reading, 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 reading. Gets to the end and this is what it says. He says, and I will make this people favorably disposed towards you. And all of the women are to go and ask the women that they work for and live with and in their neighborhood. And they had asked them for gold and silver and fine linen. And then it finishes by saying this. It says, and this is how you will plunder Egypt. Egypt is the wealthiest city on the face of the planet. And Israel is a bunch of slaves who've been slaves for 400 years. But they plunder they take with them. To plunder means to take more with you than's left behind. And the value of what you take, whatever is left behind, isn't worth picking up and carrying. You have absolutely taken, drained. You've removed from them all of the wealth and resource that they had. And the key was that the women were to go and ask the other women. Now it's true that it's at the end of a bunch of plagues, the last one being that all these women in Egypt have lost their eldest child. But God says, I will make this people favorably disposed towards you. So I went back to my office and um, called a special meeting. There are three ladies who work in my office, as my wife and two other Australian ladies. And uh, so we sat down together and I said, listen, I'm going to tell you a short story and then I'm going to ask you to do something because I believe that there is a gift of God that resides, it rests in you, it's given to, him by, to you by him and the favor of God will make it operate for you right now. So I told them the whole story and I said, this is what I believe. I don't believe I'm dumping this on you, although I'm glad to give it to you. I don't believe I'm dumping it because... Actually, you have the gifted capacity to be able to fulfill it. And they looked at each other and looked at me and they said, yeah, we know. I said, well, you could have told me. I had a guy and you girls are just sitting there just saying, oh, we'll see where this goes. So they got together, they started making phone calls and they said, oh, we'll call you if we need you. And we're just, and I, you know, my first tendency was grab the whiteboard, start, you know, we need to make some squares and draw some lists and we need this and this and the time frames. And the, one of the Australian ladies said to me, she said, Frank, I just have one question for you. Are you a woman? <laughs> and I said, what kind of question is that? I said, well, what you just told us is that the giftedness that's required isn't in you. So maybe you should just go away. 
And I, was, I, well, I went away, but you know, in my heart, I was saying, this is my office, this is my office. You tell me to go out of my own office. So I went away. My wife came home that night. She didn't give away anything. You know, it's like when I come home from a conference, she says, how was it? And I say, oh, good, good, yeah, yeah, really good. I know exactly how that feels. You see, she came home. I said, so how's it going? What's happening? What's, you know, what have you done? She said, oh, no, that's good. Yeah, really good. I thought, so, so they carried on, day and a half, probably just, just short of two days, and I get, a, I get a call, please come to your own office. So I walked in the office. I went to sit in my chair. They said, no, don't sit there. Sit at the little chair. And they put up the whiteboard and everything, and they went through, and they said, so you need a marquee for a 1,000 people, and you need seating and signs and lighting and all that kind of stuff. They said, we found a, a group of people who own a marquee. They do it as a private business. It's actually a Tongan community. And they will come and put up the marquee. They will have two men who will stay overnight because they'll do security, because this is their major asset in their church. Um, we, when we talk to them, we discover that they have more than one marquee, so we've got all the tents that we need from them one time. They'll come, put them all up, uh, run security during the week, and then on the, the day after the event, they'll take them all down, transport them away. And uh, they said, so they also have um, seating and tables and chairs and all that kind of stuff and exit signs and fire extinguishers and all the stuff that makes it compliant with council regulations. And so we've negotiated for all of that and enough pews and seating the, to seat a thousand people and, uh, you know, other chairs and tables for preparing food and, and eating and all that kind of stuff. And they said, and it's come to... The, uh, the cost of that is going to be $1,000. And I said, each. She said, no, just, just $1,000. And I thought, there's going to be a sting in here somewhere. It has to be. So they said, so the biggest challenge for us, of course, was we have to connect all this up. So they said to us, you need three-phase power. We contacted the local council and they said three-phase power doesn't come out of a household. You have to find a separate source. So at the other end of the field, you know, where there's a concrete block toilet with EX3 on it, at this end of the field, there is a little swimming pool that they used as a therapy pool for... Uh, residents in this community. It's been shut down for years, but the council said, but inside there, they have three-phase power. So, council arranged, you know, they got to use the power. Electrician came along and said, man, we're going to need hundreds of metres of cable and junction boxes and, you know, all this stuff. And I said, oh, how much is that going to cost? And they said, well, all, all in all, including his labour costs, because he said he'll come and do it, you know, with his um, apprentices and whatnot, it's going to cost us uh, $75. So then they said, um, listen, we have a, um, that was actually the easy part. They said, because if we've got 450 people and we have to accommodate them as youth with a mission, we own one big building, you can maybe fit 50 people in there, but we've already got 48 of our own. So we have to find other locations. And around this particular park, there are some industrial buildings. 
and all of them have caretakers. So the ladies contacted the owners and they said, we have a missions conference coming up. We would really like to be able to use your building so that we can sleep people marae style. They're coming from the Pacific for this week. And so all these buildings have five different owners. They talked to all the owners and they said, um, if it's possible during these dates, we'd like to use your facility. And they, they all said, as good businessmen, how much will this cost? And um, the, uh, the businessman said, you know, so how much are you prepared to pay for the use of the buildings? And the lady said, well, according to our calculations, we could afford to pay nothing. <laughs> and after a silence on the phone, all of the businessmen said, okay. So the lady said, could we have access to the buildings? We need to go and see what they're like, what condition they're in. Four out of the five are really good, but one of them was just hopeless. Broken taps, toilet seats, cisterns, shower heads and curtains, all, you know, just in disrepair. So they made a list and they called the guy back and said, listen, we have a, um, a list here. Are you going to come and have a look or do we just send this list to you? And he said, what, what list of what? And they said, well, all these things that need to be repaired before our people come. And he said, listen, lady, I just gave you my building for nothing. And they said, well, we appreciate that, but whether you give it or whether you hire it, the building is not ours, it's yours, and you're responsible for the condition of the building. So we would appreciate it if you came and repaired all those things before our people arrive. Again, stunned silence on the phone. He said, okay. So we came and repaired everything, and taps and cisterns and broken doors and handles and whatnot, and we used the facility. We needed 450 mattresses, 900 pillows, 900 blankets, and we got all of them for $60. We had a fantastic, we had so much food donated. You know, the plates on the first day looked like this. Uh, you know, Pacific Islanders are pretty weary, you know, they say, yeah, so it's like that on day one because tomorrow's like this, say. <laughs> you know, this is just to just to woo us into a false sense of confidence, you know. Hallelujah, it's a prayer assembly. <laughs> we had so much food. I, um, you know, just uh, in, the, in the process, um, really felt that the Lord spoke to me to, to invite my cousins to come and to cook. Because, you know, it's not that they're good cooks, but they know how to do one thing really, really, really well. They know how to do quantity. And so they came and just cooked heaps. We had so much food, we had to give it to people to take some home after dinner, you know, just in case you might get hungry in the middle of the night. The last day, everybody finishes up, they're saying goodbye, they go home, the executive committee get together again because they have done this seven years in a row. And uh, on the last day, they always do this just to settle all the accounts. So they get together, I get a phone call because I'm not on the executive committee, I'm just the young YWAMO who says, I think we can do this. Until you realise that I can't do this. And uh, so they call me to come, they said, Frank, we have a problem. And I thought, oh, what a shame, it's been such a good event and everything, you know. And they said, yeah, we have a problem. We've done this for seven years, every, at the end of every conference we get together and we, 
tally up all the bills and then we divide them amongst ourselves because we always, always run at a loss. And this year we've made $10,000 profit and uh, we don't know what to do with it. So, you know, I, I made some suggestions. But they made a donation to us and they took all the volunteer workers out for lunch and then the rest of it became the seed money for the next year's gathering. So it seemed like a bit of a strange story, but the thing that really was, for me, my biggest takeaway was, who told you, Frank? See, I believe that one of the things that God is in the process of doing is he's restoring back to us what is the true image of God. And in Genesis it says that that image is both male and female. It's masculine and feminine. It's been interesting just during this time of COVID just to watch uh, as things that have been the normal have now begun to diminish, decrease, and cease. And so new normals have emerged. You know, online shopping that used to be like this is now like this. And one of the most amazing things that I thought was really quite a, uh, a sign that he's, he's doing it again is the number of women and entrepreneurs online. You know why? Because out of Proverbs 31, their motivation to be in business is for the well-being of their household. It has nothing to do with status or, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. See, there's, there's something that's necessary for us to be reconciled to again, and that is the whole image of God. There are, there are aspects, there are parts of it that we will miss. You know, one of the biggest casualties in the fall of man was that Adam the man and Adam the woman went. I believe that God is restoring some of that back to us in very simple ways. He's saying that the gift of God, you see, the wholeness the fullness of the image of God is carried in all of us. And there's both masculine and feminine in me, masculine and feminine in my wife. But the way that he had to reintroduce it, you see, was through a bunch of women who've been slaves for 400 years. And he did it against the greatest masculine army and enemy and adversary of its day, the Egyptian army. See, they had established that they are the rulers of the world. And a bunch of ladies who do laundry and house cleaning plundered their nation. Not one shot is fired, and I don't know if that's because they didn't have gunpowder. But, but you know, not one guy is involved, not one sword is drawn, not one fist is clenched, not one punch is thrown. But he says, I will make this people favorably disposed towards you. Part of that favor, I believe, is because they realize that the motivation in doing business isn't to make profit. It's to make people. It's to make family. It's to make safe. It's to make secure. It's to make warm. It's to make healthy. It's to make an environment, you see, that we've lost because of masculine dominance versus masculine.
dominance. And we've ignored some necessary parts, you see. I realise my confidence is all in the fact that I got a guy. And the smarts that are in him really appeal to me because I'm a guy. But there's another way. There's another way, and it looks very much like it's the way of God, you see. In order to deliver a nation, he sends a baby. You see? In order to overcome every principality and power, he nails that baby to a tree. doesn't do things the way that we think, you see. Even the thieves on either side of him, one of them says, if you're the fella, if you really are the fella, then get down from here and get me down from here too. You know, sort out these soldiers. Do what you've got to do. He says, I am. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't really know what they're doing. Don't hold them to account for what's taking place here because there's much more that's happening that you can't see with the naked eye but the eyes of the heart are aware that God is still moving he's doing what he does and I realize that for me sometimes the hardest thing to let go is to let go of is the thing that I've been hammered with I've been told there's no argument here. This is how it is. See, it's the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. I remember one night we were preparing to go to Canada and somebody had given me, my paid for my ticket because I was invited to speak. We packed up our whole house and we were just trusting the Lord for Sonia's airfare and this is the night before we have to move out of our house that we've just sold. We have to move out of that house and we have to go to stay with my mum for the last night and then the following day we go to the airport, hopefully for both of us to fly to Canada. And I remember my wife just lying on our mattress on the floor and she said, it's all right for you. You already got a ticket. And she said, but look, it's midnight. It's midnight on Friday night. Tomorrow's Saturday and Sunday we fly. Everybody knows the banks are all closed. The shops are shut. So she just, you know, it wasn't one of those, it was a rhetorical statement that she was making. She wasn't looking for an answer, you know. And, and husbands, you, you become wise enough to know that this is not a make a response kind of thing, you know. Because you just get it. <laughs> I didn't ask you to answer, the, I'm just, just telling you. So, so I just... So she just started to cry and lay down on her pillow and went to sleep. Early, early in the morning, I got a phone call, probably because of time differences. It was somebody else in Canada. And he called me to say, listen, I'm just calling. He said, is everything okay? I said, well, we're, we're all good to go. Just, we, Sonia doesn't have a ticket. And he said, 
I knew it. That's why I was calling you. I just wanted to make sure that, you know, that you're all set to come. He said, can you just give me your travel agency's travel agent's number? I'll call them and pay for it on the credit card. And so you guys just go to the airport and get the ticket. In the time that my wife fell asleep and lay down on the pillow with these tears of, it's hopeless now. I thought I at least had a, you know, a few hours on the shop calendar, but now all the shops are shut. And she's looking at me because she, up until then, she thought she had a guy. <laughs> but even guys are only good up to Friday night because when the shops shut and the banks are closed. <laughs> Not much use having a guy. And then God. I remember after the phone call, I just lay down on the, on the mattress next to her, you know, just kind of just poke a little bit. Because I want her to wake up to this, you see. And obviously so does he. So she was almost awake, you know. I just, I just happened to get just, you know. <laughs> she opened her eyes and she said, what? And I said, guess what? So I just got a phone call this morning and they've booked your ticket and it'll be at the airport. She didn't jump up. She just kind of lay back down on the pillow and just went, We have a God that's more than able, but sometimes it's the limitations that have been put on us by what somebody else said. Who told you? Who told you? Go back and ask again, and if you're stuck for an answer, look for a toilet block. If he needs to, he will. He still uses that methodology of writing it on stone. Not really flash stone, but still. Stones are stone. Exodus 3. See, I believe that he's, when he did that with the women coming out of the city, he said this. He said, you had asked for gold and silver and fine linen, and you are to clothe your children with it. I watched the movie The Ten Commandments and those raggedy little kids coming out on these broken down carts, carrying, you know, wooden buckets and bits of torn cloth, I said, what a gross misrepresentation of the nature of God. See? And it must have been tough, you know, especially for the ladies. You know, they were wearing these shoes that they never got old, they never wore out. Imagine that, 40 years in the wilderness, same pair of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, see, even the ladies are going, uh-uh, uh, no, no way I'm wearing that same pair of shoes. And the husbands are saying, but look, they're as good as new. Said, well, I'm sure you, you know, how that's, that's how they track that journey. I think they just left a trail of single shoes along the way. You could see where the people had gone. You know, the wives are saying, I don't know. I, ha- I, I don't know what happened to that other shoe. I don't, I'll have to get a new pair. It's just... I'm sure there have been uh, other cases of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And I'm sure that they have 
been pertaining to me as well. But sometimes the gift of God is the thing that you have absolutely denounced and declared that it couldn't possibly come from there. I mean, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But we all know his answer is yes, most definitely. In fact, he chooses the weak. He chooses the simple. He chooses the foolish things. That's why as long as you meet here, I, I would encourage you to keep that children's church notice at the front door. Because we're all just three-year-olds leading two-year-olds. And I don't mind that. That's good. Takes away the pressure of me having to know everything. And I hear you've got a young YWAM guy coming to you. So be gentle with him. (laughs) Thank you, Father. And if he wants to pitch a tent and, you know, have a meeting and invite some others to come. It's just, it's just a tent. Just assign some good ladies to go with him. So, thank you. Can I ask you to finish the service? Can you pray um, just for the fellowship this morning, ask God's blessing on, you know, our future? And as you say, we've got a young uh, YWAM boy coming along and that's is pretty awesome and um, yeah. his Kiwi wife they, yes, they went to the Tauranga okay. base and uh, yeah, just if you could uh, I just want to honour you for your, your faithful service in Waiwe for all these years it's just mm. uh, you've offered a lot of encouragement to us all this morning our God is able there is nothing our God cannot do and uh, there's one word in the Bible that just underscores everything you've said it's faith. Mm. Have faith in God. There is nothing and there is no problem, there is nothing that he cannot mm. provide an answer for. Amen. And uh, he's a good God and he desires to do that. So Amen. do that for us this morning. Amen. Let me just pray for you in one minute. Uh, just um, I believe that this is a word to you as a fellowship. A friend of mine a few years ago She said, I believe that we are a Caleb generation. And the reason that we're a Caleb generation is that because we have walked and served, we've participated with Joshua in all of the endeavors of his heart. We've followed with him, we've come out of wherever we've come out of, and we've come into this land that we've come into. But Caleb says, there's still something that I have that's alive and living in here, and it's not to do with Joshua, it's to do with me and him. So if there's a land that's still yours to settle for your children and your children's children, if there's a mountain that's still there that doesn't belong to Joshua but it's been gifted to you as your inheritance, you know, people look at us and say, oh, grey hair or balded head or, you know, it doesn't move so fast now and all of that's okay. But it says of Caleb, it says that his hand was still as strong on the sword in that day. After he had served Joshua and been loyal and faithful, he was one of the two witnesses that says, we can go into this land, and you have. 
but it doesn't mean to say that you're done. This is a Caleb generation, and if there's still something that you believe is unfulfilled or incomplete, something that he said to you, maybe it's accomplished just in the laying down on your pillow and letting him still fulfill what he can do because he's the one who watches over his word in order to perform it and bring it to pass. We are not done yet. And not because we're going to go back to the days of Joshua. These are different days and Caleb goes with his household, with his family, with his group. And they take that mountain. There are still giants there, but, you know, we've, we've been around. We've seen giants. We don't have a guy, but we do have a God. So, Father, Father, thank you for the transition of this fellowship. Thank you for that capacity in their, in their hearts to be led by a young man who could be a David, to be led by a young man who could be a Joseph, to be led by a young man who's probably still finding his way, just like David and Joseph. Thank you, Father, for this fellowship of Caleb's who are not finished yet. And so, Father, for those things that still remain, that are born of you, that are breathed by the Spirit of God and are still a flickering flame in the hearts of these who are here today. Fan that flame again, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And not just out of the wealth of the knowledge of the days before, but as a new generation of three-year-olds saying, Daddy, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And teach us some new things. Show us some new ways. Because what I'm taking now is not because I'm standing next to Joshua. It's not for the, even necessarily for the benefit of the nation. But there is an inheritance that you spoke to me about that belongs to me and mine. So, Father, let the Spirit of God and the anointing flow down from these who are great-grandparents and grandparents and parents and mums and dads and Father let it pour into the generations that come what a wonderful foundation of the stories of the faithfulness of God over generations let that be their inheritance to their children and their children's children Amen Thank you Frank We'll finish the